Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everybody welcome to another new episode of undying light i'm your host pastor alex and we are back at it once again kicking off matthew chapter 11 this week we're going to look at this passage it's going to be 19 verses long so this will be our focal point for the day the messengers from john the baptist and we'll see what jesus has to say here uh, in regards to these individuals and uh, then we will move on next week to uh, the unrepentant cities and then come to me and I will give you rest. It'll be a fun uh, little snip passage, if you would, a little snippet to it. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of our next few week schedule uh, continuing through Matthew. And uh, as I would mentioned before, I would like to do another Tuesday series on parenting and I, I just need to get the opportunity, the time to compile resources and uh, and, and kind of have my uh, what's in my mind mapped out better. Uh, I don't want to dive into something of that caliper without being um, overly prepared. So uh, may not come as soon as I hope, but I am certainly planning on it. Uh, just to, you know, it, it could just be a combination of things. Um, looking at parenting through different ages and parenting in today's world and dealing with all the atrocious, uh, just heinous hate that is in our society today. How do we navigate that as parents? And that's, you know, the questions that my wife and I are continuously asking ourselves as our kids are getting older. How do we prepare our kids for what the world is going to throw at them? And that's the that's the challenge. And I know a lot of parents have that same sort of fear and uncertainty. Is they just don't know what or how to um, navigate those waters. So my goal with it would be to build kind of a um, a little bit of a navigational path, if you would. It doesn't have to be the only one that you find, but hopefully it'll help provide some helpful tips and tools in your arsenal to do 
that uh, which is the goal I believe for any parent is to raise kids successfully in the name of Christ at least the goal for any Christian parent obviously the rest of the world is going to hate us because we're Christians and that's just a pretty common thought at this at this stage now doesn't take much to look into all of the companies moving against you know traditional families and traditional thoughts in fact I saw an article this morning that Kohl's uh, the department store is putting out uh, the LGBTQ plus junk in the baby section. Who in their right mind would dress their baby in that? I mean, unless you are, you know, hooked in into that stuff, and that is your that is your business, and you're not a Christian, you know, that's that's what they would do. But for Christians, it's like, man, when do we when do we stand up? and really make these companies understand that we don't tolerate this type of thing. You know, and I was just having a conversation with my wife about when is the tipping point coming? You know, because it felt like for so many years it was just kind of like uh, inch by inch by inch that they wanted. And now it's like companies are hand handing them everything they want. Just, you know, left and right. You know, the whole Dodgers escapade with that anti-Catholic group that came out or is coming out on, uh, you know, whatever that day is, queer day or whatever. It's atrocious. It's atrocious behavior by these companies and these businesses. And they have no regard for the traditional family values. They have no regard for Christian values. They don't care about Christians, obviously. But I think as Christians... This is a call for us to realize we need to be spending our money elsewhere and we need to be spending our money on, you know, products through mom and pop shops that care about family values and care about um, the the family and the children and respecting that premise and that boundary. Whereas, you know, you go into most department stores starting here in the month of June, this episode will air here next uh, this Friday, so it'll be I don't know June second or third or whatever that Friday is. I can actually have to look at my calendar. I don't even know what Friday is. Friday is June second, so uh, it'll be full fledged. You know, you you go out into the world and everything you see, every turn you make, it will be there in your face. In fact, we were at the outlet mall last night, and we noticed uh, a coach had a sign that was inviting people to come into their um their uh season of gays or whatever they wanted to call it you know north face bit off a big big piece of it the other day with their new propaganda that they're pushing um targets have been you know uh rallying around the satanic and and lgbtq stuff for the last few weeks and it's just it's an it's a nightmare and how do we navigate that as Christians? How do we as parents take our children through this storm? And I don't foresee it getting any easier. I don't foresee it getting any easier. In fact, I feel like this is only the beginning of the harder constructs to come. And that's just the reality that we have to face as Christians. So anywho, that's me rabbit holing and uh, ranting for a minute on just all the atrocious crap that comes with the month of June. And it's sad because this is my birthday month and I feel like it has been um, tarnished by this movement. So 
anyways, that's, uh, that's what I get to look forward to. So, and I'm sorry for all of you who listen, who have June birthdays as well. But anyways, let's get on with the show. We're going to look at uh, messengers from John the Baptist. This is beginning with chapter 11 in Matthew. So we're uh, moving right along here. And this is what it says. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind have received their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And the blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And they went away, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's house. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there have arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven have suffered violence, and the violent will take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We have played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a gluttard and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. That is the opening portion of chapter 11. So uh, let us dive right into this um, and uh, hopefully explain some of these interesting things that Jesus is saying. So first of all, we we begin with John, uh, or with Jesus finishing his, uh, instructing his 12 disciples. This is going back to chapter 10 with the mission instructions that he's giving his disciples uh, and what we would uh, came to the conclusion of is the um, preparing to sending them out. Uh, while there could have been small uh, send outs, you know, weekends or a couple weeks of mission work that these guys had performed in the immediate future, most of this stuff is looking towards the um, after the ascension of Christ and the growing of the church having to go out and plant these churches. So he resumes his travels into the cities and villages of Galilee. This goes back to chapter 9 as he's going through this region. Uh, John the Baptist is now imprisoned by King Herod Antipas about a year now. He's been sitting in jail and he catches this word and he uh, wants to verify the reports he's heard about Jesus. Now, it should be said here uh, that John had prophesied and made paid witness to who Jesus was at the time of his baptism. And now 
he appears to have doubts. So John the Baptist has used the images of judgment to describe the ministry of the one who is coming, going all the way back to chapter 3. Uh, Jesus seemed not to be living up to John's expectations of the coming one, a, a title for the Messiah. Again, understand that going back to how John prophesied the coming Messiah, the entire view of the Jewish people was under this notion that Jesus was going to come and not eradicate, but release them from oppression. It would be eradicate, I guess, the oppression to end it, to free them from Roman rule and assert God's kingdom on earth. Now, we know that that wasn't the premise to the reason Jesus came because Jesus came to do exactly what he just said to these messengers who come to him. And we, we know that the first coming Messiah has to establish all of these things and there has to be a death paid to atone for the sins of mankind and that it has to be done in you know, in Christ, and so through his life, ministry, and death, and resurrection, we now have the prophesied Messiah in, in all of his glory. And John is is concerned because he's seen, you know, Jesus doing these things, and he's not liberating them from Roman rule. He's not freeing them from that. He's, you know, just kind of going about healing people at this stage. And so Jesus points to his mighty works going back through chapters eight and nine in his proclamation to the good news to the poor as a fulfillment of the uh, messianic prophecies from Isaiah back in Isaiah 26, 29, 35, 42, and 61. These words and deeds verify that he was indeed the promised Christ. And so Jesus isn't turning to the, you know, his kind of perceived or desired notion from the Roman or from the Jewish people to release him from the Roman oppression. He's pointing instead to how the proper interpretation of his coming should have been marked in scripture instead of being this, you know, new heavens and new earth upon his first coming it was to come and do these mighty works and fulfill these prophecies that as Isaiah had marked throughout his book. And then the second coming of Christ on the day that God has determined that is when the new heavens and the new earth will be established and all of sin will be eradicated. So Jesus turns in verse uh verse five here and tells them all of these things points to his mighty works. And he uses this as a continued fulfillment of the messianic prophecies given by Isaiah and chapter uh, verse six, uh, the blessed one is one who is not offended by me. Uh, this can be turned all the way back to the beatitudes and he promises spiritual tranquility to John and anyone who else is not repelled by him. Uh, Bernard of uh, Clairvaux says this, the Lord intimidated, uh, in, intimated that he was about to die and by such a death as might be to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And so 
this again could be uh, a precursor to his death. And if you really kind of consider that, you know, the humiliation that Jesus undertook from his arrest to his trials, the mock trials, to his beating and flogging, and then to be crucified, it's a humiliating process that he went through. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you who is not offended by me. If, if that doesn't offend you, if that doesn't turn you away, if that doesn't you know, scare you off, blessed truly are you. So now John's uh, messengers have left. They've gone back to him. And Jesus turns to the crowds and he, pre- he presents them with these questions. What did you go out to see? Jesus has already established who he is, and he now asks the same rhetorical question three times to explain John's mission, and each moves closer to the purpose described in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and that's and this is what uh, Malachi writes. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger will... Uh, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So uh, Jesus is continuously pointing back to this notion and drawing them back to the prophecies of John the Baptist and fulfilling that. And then he goes on to say here, we'll talk about it in a minute, that he is even the Elijah, if you would. He says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah. He is the final prophet because a lot of the Jews had had uh, mentioned that Elijah will come before the Lord comes again. And so there's that prophecy that Jesus is establishing of the the scope and work of John, greater than a prophet, more than a prophet, just kind of an interesting, you know, breakdown of who he is. And we only get small pieces of his ministry. We know that he kind of walked alongside the time of Christ in his early ministry and and did things. But as the fame of Christ grew, the fame of John decreased. And even John makes that statement, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. And so he is probably just left at, you know, towards the end before he's arrested, he's left with a small contingent of followers, whereas the rest the greater groups that had followed him had now moved on to following Christ. And this is exactly what should have happened. And not to say that John should have been diminished to zero, but John will serve his purpose and, um, and, and have his prophecy fulfilled in terms of who he is and what he's done. And unfortunately, we know that John's life ends in prison and he is beheaded and it's unfortunate Uh, But that is the way that most Christians have gone that have been martyred. It's sad. But this is the world that we face, the world that hates us, the world that will try and do everything it can to eradicate Christianity. And every time Christianity comes under persecution, it flourishes. And truth be told, uh, my, my whole view of it is, if persecution comes to the West for the church, those in the big mega churches will fall away and would, would surrender their identity as Christians because they are not rooted in scripture and they're not, they're not trained and they don't understand 
the entirety of what they've signed up for. By being a believer, you are subjecting yourself to death. That is exactly the premise of the Christian faith. By being a believer in Jesus, you are opening and willingly accepting the, your death by the hands of somebody else because of the, their hatred for you. And that's the reality. And I don't think some, I don't think many Christians are comfortable in facing that. Sometimes it scares me because I have two small children and I don't want to die before seeing them raised and grow up and have children of their own. I certainly don't, but it's something that we as preachers and we as pastors and, and as Christians must accept that if persecution comes, then the church has to do one of two things in the big mega churches that'll, they'll, they'll shut their doors and they'll crumble or they're succumb to you know, the, the, the influences and they'll preach in the manner that the, uh, that the forces tell them to preach in and, uh, us smaller churches, you know, confessionally based will, uh, have to go underground and we'll have to survive by means of, um, you know, secrecy basically. So Luke gives us the, a more of a breakdown of the shaken here, the read shaken. Uh, he's, more than a yes man, one who changes position at every shift in public opinion, unlike John, who was stable and strong. Uh, Luke records this. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Did you expect to just go see somebody who's going to be swayed to and fro based upon the influences? No, of course not. Did you expect to see him in soft clothing? John's aesthetic garb of camel's hair and leather belt were hardly the silk and satin garments of the noble contours. So John is dressed in rugged and rough clothing, not this elegant, you know, cloth and garments that the that the nobility had worn. And so Jesus again asks them these three rhetorical questions and in verse nine here he says what did you expect to see a prophet so john surpassed all the other prophets because he was god's chosen messenger so this again kind of elevates john into a into a class of his own the prophets through the old testament prophesied about the coming messiah but never were the direct messenger but john fulfills the prophecies of those prophets in the old testament about being the messenger and goes on to paint the way and pave the way for christ and so he acts both greater than a prophet and a prophet himself so uh, he's specifically identified as such in the old testament to prepare the way of the lord he plays a unique role in god's plan for salvation so moving on here, uh, verse nine or verse ten. Uh, this is quoting again from Malachi three one, uh, Mark one two as well quotes it in this fashion. Um, messenger uh, Luke re- says this uh, about this verse: "Prepare your way." Jesus quotes Malachi three one to define John's role as the Herod, announcing. Uh, the advent of the Messiah and getting the people ready to receive him. So preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, So again, another quotation being fulfilled, another prophecy given to us here. Uh, Moving on to verse 11, we have truly, I say to you among those born of women, there's been no one greater. And so John is again, 
elevated into this position, born of a woman, referencing John's humanity. Uh, Though this might be also taken as a subtle contrast with Jesus, who was not merely born of a woman, but born of a virgin. None is greater. John was the last prophet under the old covenant. His surpassing greatness was his close connection to Jesus. He announced Christ's advent, baptized him, and then preceded him in a martyr's death. So closely related were John and Jesus, in fact, uh, that Herod got the two confused in chapter 9, verses 7 through 9 of the Gospel of Luke. Least in the kingdom of God is greater. Some, including Luther, understand Jesus as referring to himself as greater. However, because the Spirit dwells in the heart of every Christian, making the present and risen Jesus known. So, this is, you know, it's an interesting uh, breakdown of, of John and, and kind of his entire persona and who he is and what he's doing. And it, it really, in my opinion, I think this is a great measure that uh, uh, Jesus kind of pays for with John. And he, you know, really kind of sets him up and being in this unique position and tells his followers, tells these crowds that John fulfilled all these prophecies. You are being witness to something that is, you know, beyond the, you know, the, the history of the world. I mean, this, this sets itself outside of history that, you know, the, the time that Christ came into our world, the time that God lowered himself and became a human. This is a marker in time and space and history that supersede everything else in the world. All the wars, all the disasters, all the births, all the speeches, you know, the great and and terrible people who have come in the history of the world, they all cower in in size compared to this moment, the time that Christ has come. And so he is elevating John, uh, who has paved the way for Christ to come. And so he really kind of uh, gives this great little send-off, if you would, about John, and he's asserting that, you know he's a he's a not a reed shaken in the wind. He was strong and and stable in his uh, in his preaching. He did not come as a man dressed in soft and elegant clothing. He came dressed in camel hair and and leather, eating honey, and he was uh, a rugged, probably very dirty human being. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus is saying. But that doesn't again. Uh, you know, establish really, you know, his greatness. I mean, just the way he looks and acts it, you know, the reed shaken is kind of the beginning element of establishing who um, John is by being one who is stable and not uh, swayed by the forces, if you would, of the world. And so he goes on and he, you know, asserts that he is greater than the prophet. He is this, he is the one who Malachi had prophesied about. So this is, you know, a significant moment. In verse 12, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Uh, John experienced violence. Jesus and his disciples expected violent opposition as they carried out their mission. Going back to verse, uh, back to chapter 10. And so Jesus does get arrested, beaten, flogged, and crucified. So he experiences violence. All of the disciples will experience violence. Even John, uh, the apostle, who 
doesn't die a martyr's death, but dies an old man's death, but yet experiences immense persecution throughout his life. In fact, it's said that he was, uh, he had boiling oil poured on him and he somehow survives. And so, uh, the rest of them all experienced martyrs death crucified. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. There was a couple of them that were crucified. There were some that were crucified on X crosses. Um, there were some that were beheaded, stoned, uh, skinned alive. I mean, these are just ridiculously torturous and, and unimaginable amounts of pain. You know, I hate having a hangnail. I couldn't imagine having my skin taken off me. I, it just, it just, it is the most gruesome and bloody way to go. And these men did it because of the gospel. And here's the thing that really captures my, uh, <clears throat> my attention about all of this. These men died in horrific ways and they never ever said this was a false belief. They were so convinced that Jesus Christ was real and that he fulfilled everything. They saw him die. They saw him raised. They witnessed his miracles. This was the son of God. Even the the Roman soldier at the cross at the time of death says, surely this is the son of God. The demons all pay a tribute that this is the son of God, the Holy one of God. And that these 12 disciples and many, many, many Christians throughout the ages were martyred for their belief in Christ. The conviction surpasses today, in my opinion. You ask many people in the church, and, and, and I'm writing this in my book a little bit in the first chapter because it's concerning that in the first, you know, and because I, I want to highlight kind of the, um, the setup to the rest of my book, but it begins with the lack of understanding scripture, it begins with a lack of understanding who this Christ is. And so people may say they believe in Jesus, but do they really know who Jesus is? Do they really know what the Bible says about him? Do they truly understand and believe that he is the Messiah, the son of God, the one who forgives sin, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the one who uh, frees us from sin, death, and the devil, the one who has come to give us new life? Do we truly believe that? And I would venture to say most people in the West don't. All right, that's enough rabbit holy. We got some few verses left to get through, so let's uh, wrap this up here for you. Uh, verse 13, uh, the Old Testament era and its writings that foretold uh, the coming of both John and Jesus has now come to an end. Malachi predicted uh, that the prophet Elijah would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Malachi 4.5, John the Baptist was that prophet. Now, interestingly enough, we're going to have to kind of parlay this section here with the 17th chapter of Matthew on Transfiguration Day, and we'll talk a little bit about Elijah coming then. That is not John the Baptist um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is actually Elijah. But we know that the spirit of Elijah comes in John the Baptist, and so uh, it, it is an interesting connection, but they are both two distinct peoples. Uh, outwardly appearing uh, outwardly hearing what Jesus said about himself and John was not significant. Real hearing it called for faith, something that Jesus, uh, Jesus's contemporaries lacked. That is um, verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is a, you know, the hearing of the gospel. 
This is what Paul writes in Romans 10. The hearing of the gospel is what gives faith to uh, pay witness to the miracles, to, to see them. Uh, doesn't give one faith. It might be. It might start stirring things, but it's the hearing. It is the. It is the words that Christ speaks that gives us faith. So moving on to verse sixteen, uh, comparing this generation here, uh, Jesus often was critical of the people of his day, and we'll see that throughout this gospel, uh, like children who did not want to play either uh, happy or sad games. People were dissatisfied with both John and Jesus. Again, this goes back to that whole understanding of uh, who uh, Jesus was in terms of coming back to the uh, liberator of the gospel, if you would, uh, the one that um, was supposed to remove them from the Roman oppression, remove them from all of that. They are disappointed with John and Jesus. And so he criticizes them that you're like children who don't want to play either happy or sad games. Uh, Verse 18 for John came neither eating or drinking. And they say he has a demon. So very simple. You know, we know that he lived off of uh, um, the, the wilderness, uh, as a uh, as Gabriel prophesied in chapter one verse fifteen of Luke, John led uh, an ascetic lifestyle. Not surprisingly, then Luke also connects him with the practice of frequent fasting. Those that and then the having a demon, those who rejected John's message, actually attributed his unusual lifestyle and fiery preaching with the influence of an evil spirit. And so then we get to you know the contrast. So we see John living this very simple lifestyle. And then we have the contrast to Jesus who comes eating and drinking. And they, they essentially say almost the very same thing. You know, they, they, they attribute John's ministry to having a demon. And now they attribute Jesus to being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors. Uh, so uh, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Uh, what a person does demonstrates wisdom because of what Jesus did back in verse two, one was justified in believing that he was in fact the Messiah. So people commonly experience disappointment because of false or unfulfilled expectations. We hope God will act in a certain way, but he does not. When we wonder why, to guard against false expectations, focus on Jesus, on what he has said and done. He is the fulfillment of all of our hopes, all of the promises of God found in him, found their yes in him. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 that Paul writes there. So all of the promises of God are found in Christ. That is what Paul gets at. But yet in the world where we might experience disappointments and unfulfilled expectations from God, we know that God is working all things to our good. Even though we may not understand it now, we know that God is actively at work in our lives and in the lives of fellow believers. We just celebrated the day of Pentecost in church on Sunday, and we got to uh, work through the text of Jesus promising the spirit to come. That same spirit that came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two is the same spirit that is actively at work in the church today. The same spirit that will continue to be at work until the day that Christ comes and takes his church out of this sinful world. That same spirit is given to us. That same spirit provides us faith, gives us hope and shows us the love of Christ, even when we don't 
expect it or we don't get what we want, God is still actively working in our lives. So we're going to wrap there for the day. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. And a couple rabbit holes and rants in there, but uh, I think they were all uh, well and fine. So we will uh, continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. As I mentioned, we will uh, look at uh, some other possible series this summer. I, I just I just can't guarantee it, but I really do truly want to work on a, a parenting series. So, so maybe I'll partner with my wife and her and I can rock one out together. That'd be great, getting her back on the mic. It's been a long time since she's talked with me on here. So we'll see. We'll see what time gives us. Uh, until then, this episode airs in uh, on a Friday in June. So I pray that you have shielded yourself from all of the the, the propaganda and all the crap that comes out this month and uh, spend your money wisely and I pray that God gives you the wisdom faith and strength to weather the storms in this world get to church on Sunday, receive the sacraments and know that your sins are forgiven until next week ladies and gentlemen have a great week, God bless guys thanks for tuning into this episode of undying light if you did enjoy this episode then consider joining us on patreon for as little as a dollar a month that means one dollar per month will get you access to everything that we do behind the scenes that includes early releases podcast episodes bonus episodes that will never be released to the public teaching videos bible studies sermon notes, and anything else that may arise during the time, as well as early access to my book. That also entails that if you are a patron, when I complete the book, you will get a free copy of that said book. So that is just a few of the things that we do here at Undying Light, and we would greatly appreciate if you come and join this community. You'd have access to our chat groups on Instagram and our Discord channel where we keep everybody up to date and have wonderful conversations spanning the plethora of information. So $1 a month gets you full access to all of that. You can buy a whole year up front and get access for just about $10 and change, and that gives you 12 months uninterrupted access to Undying Light. The other promo I would like to share with you is Logos.com. You can get yourself a copy of this wonderful Bible software. You can download it free and uh, go in and just choose and purchase the books that you want, uh, whether you want a study Bible or just a couple commentaries. But the app itself is a wonderful program and allows me to quickly move through content without holding me up. I can search and find all of the available resources in my library that talk about whatever topic that I'm covering and I can draw from it, and I can read through it, and I can have all of it right in front of me. In fact, as I'm recording this, I have my study Bible open with my ESV Bible open, and generally I'll have the Book of Concord open and probably some of Luther's lectures or his uh, commentaries or anything else that he may have written, maybe even sermon notes, things like that, 
up on the screen. Those tools are wonderful in helping you study. On top of all that, this is not an app just for theologians and pastors, but it can be used for anybody and everybody at any walk in their life. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, this app can help benefit you. So logos.com forward slash undying light. You'll get yourself some discounts on packages where it will come designed to your specific denominational view. If you're Lutheran, you can get the Lutheran package. If you're Baptist or Reformed or Calvinist or Anglican or Catholic or Jewish, you can get all of those packages at a discounted rate through that link. So you can find all that information in the show notes as well as anything that pertains to fitness and health as that is another mantra to my life. And if you have any questions on that, feel free to DM me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.